All right, um, Exodus. We have gotten to the place I have been wondering about for months, literally, because when we got into all the laws, I was sitting here going, this is the part everybody's going to want to get back to, because the narrative has resumed, which is kind of a little sad for me, because I've actually enjoyed the laws and the tabernacle construction and all of that stuff. And again, I've told you guys before, if nobody else has fun on a Sunday morning, I do, and that's what I care about, so... (laughs) Got to have a little bit of fun. We are picking back up with the narrative. Why? Well, we have the tablets. We have the commands of God. We have everything that we need. It should be time for Moses to return down the mountain in triumph and exaltation, right? It's time to rejoice. Au contraire, mon frère. Human nature, she will take over every single time. And do not ask me where that accent has come from, but I will keep using it until someone tells me to stop. No. (laughs) (laughs) Ah! You're confusing enough. You can talk quickly or you can talk with a bad French accent. You're not allowed to do both. Those are the rules. No. What do I mean when I say human nature is taking over? Unfortunately, Moses is basking. Well, this isn't the unfortunate part. Moses is basking in the presence and instruction of God. Unfortunately, the rest of Israel is not, <laughs> to, put it, to put it gently. So Moses gets to come down the mountain, but he gets to come down the mountain to humanity in action. The advantage of that is we get to see who God is and how he relates to his people, both good, bad, and ugly. And we get to see how Christ's work will be in the way that Moses pictures it. So that's one of the other things we're going to look for. So let's just dive right in and go to verse 1. Sound like a plan? Okay. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. Okay. This is where life gets really interesting because there is there's so much in the first verse here that that is contradictory of both reality and common sense. It's not even funny, but let's, let's try to give them the benefit of the doubt. They saw that he had delayed in coming down the mountain. If you rewind to Exodus 24, Moses entered the midst of the cloud and he went up to the mountain and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So he's been up the mountain. Somebody help me out because my brain doesn't want to do math. What is that? Not quite six weeks, give or take. Somebody who's better at math than I am right now. So yeah. So he's been up the mountain for about a month and a half. In human perspective, wandering in the wilderness, that's that's a while, right? We can acknowledge that when the leader takes a six-week hiatus that he's been gone for a little bit. Okay, we'll give him that one. The people assembled about Aaron. Okay, that's not necessarily a problem. What did Moses tell them before he ascended up the mountain? Moses, along with Joshua, his servant, went up to the mountain of God, but to the elders he said, wait here for us until we return to you. All right, got it. Behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a legal matter, let him approach them. So if you have questions, who should you go to? Aaron or Hur. So Moses has been gone for a while, and we have questions, so let's go to Aaron. So far, a little iffy, but so good, right? And they said to him, come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us from the land of Egypt. Okay, time out. There is so much wrong with that request that I, like my brain hurts trying to quantify all of it. This is why I have notes, okay? First of all, make us a God who will go before us. Exodus chapter 20 
verses 1 and 2. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Who is the God that goes before Israel? Yahweh, God, 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 the one talking to Moses on the mountain. Make us a God who will go before us. We've already got one. Okay, there's problem number one. Problem number two. Exodus 24 again. Moses took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, for those of you that went to English class in high school, who are they? The people. Moses read it to them, and they responded, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. That, that doesn't, those two things don't line up right here. I mean, I know it's been six weeks and all, but I think I can remember that I have made a covenant before the holy God of Israel over the course of a month and a half. I, th I mean, I don't remember a lot of things, but I think I can remember the part where Moses read me the law, and I went, I like that. And then he sprinkled me with some blood, and I went, I'm in. I think that, I mean, that's kind of, that's a memorable occasion, right? When the leader of the people sprinkles some blood on you and tells you you're one of God's people, that's, that's kind of something you can remember for more than like a month and a half. You would think that, right? So make us a God who will go before us. Moses, the man who brought us from the land of Egypt. If that doesn't make like the steam come out of your ears like a cartoon character, I don't know what will. I would like to rewind all the way back to Exodus chapter 8. The magicians tried with their secret arts to bring forth gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. The magicians then said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. In other words, the pagan Egyptian magicians worshiping 17 gods from Sunday by their secret arts trying to make mimic of the magical works that they think Moses is doing were like, you know, I can't do that one. Which means if we can't do it and we know all the magic and he's doing it, then it's not magic, it's God. This is a problem here. The Egyptians recognize this. The Israelites are going, well, Moses took us out of Egypt. Moses brought forth the gnats. Moses brought forth the darkness. Moses parted the sea. Yeah, Moses. It's Terry's fault, by the way, that brought that up again. So send your letters and complaints. No. All right. Now here's the last part. <laughs> this man who brought us from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. I, I, sorry, that's just aggravating right there. Him. <laughs> I meant to fix that and I forgot. That's my fault. Okay, this is where it gets really good. They don't know what has happened to Moses. Would you like me to read you what happened to Moses? Exodus 24 again. The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses from the midst of the cloud and to the eyes of the sons of Israel. The appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. Moses is still talking to God. The cloud and the flaming fiery mountain thing is still there. And they're like, I don't know where he went. He's just gone. Meanwhile, mountain quaking and cloud and fire. And I mean, 
that what else do you say to this? Now, in my, I told you it was going to be one of those days, because Sunday school was like this, wasn't it? I apologize. In all my apoplecticness, if that's not a word, it is now, there is actually a really good thing that we can learn from this and recognize, and it's important, because if humanity in its own power and its own wisdom is so broken that you can stand next to the brother of the guy who is literally in the cloud of flaming fire talking to God while the thunder and the lightning goes off and the mountain shakes, and you can see it and go, you know, that brother of yours who did all these miraculous things for us, forgetting that God has done all of them, he's gone, and we would like you to replace him with something. Chop, chop. I can't even fathom that. This is almost unintentional comedy. We don't know what's going on here. (sighs) Why does this matter to you, Christian? This should put Jesus' words in a better perspective for you. You ready? John 20. Remember, Jesus shows up before the apostles and Thomas is missing. Thomas comes back after Jesus is gone and they're all, hey, Jesus was here because they're freaked out because he was dead the last time they saw him and now he's not. And Thomas says what? Well, unless I see him with my own two eyes and I touch the whole, unless I do everything, eh -eh, I'm not believing. So Jesus shows back up and does everything that Thomas wants and Thomas' answer is what? My bad, you're God, okay. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. See, we miss that. What's the blessing? Is your faith better than Thomas's because you believed without seeing and he needed to see to believe? Not really, no, because I'm just as broken and sinful as he is. So what's the blessing? Why? Why did Thomas need to see to believe? What's he missing? No, he's got some faith. He's got a little bit of it. He's still hanging out with the other apostles in the upper room, right? There it is. Pentecost hasn't come. Jesus has not breathed upon them. The Spirit has not come down. Thomas has got to see to believe because I've got nothing else to convince me. Christian, you believe without seeing, not because your faith is better, but because the strength behind you is better. The strength behind you is the Holy Spirit of God strengthening you. That's your blessing. That's your comfort. The reason we can look at this and go, I cannot believe they're standing at the foot of the mountain that God is on talking to Moses with the cloud and the shining glory and the voice like thunder. And they're just like, you know, I just don't know if we can keep doing this anymore. It's because this is what humanity looks like. This is what the world in sin looks like. It looks like the blindingly, literally, the blinding, shining glory of God, the blindingly obvious, and it goes right over their hand, right over their head, and lands like a splat on the wall behind them. Why? Because they need a better work. They need a security that is outside of them that will be placed into them. Welcome to the down payment of the Holy Spirit and salvation, and why he is so important. I didn't say it this time. Go me. (laughs) I will celebrate that as a win. This is why this matters. Because his work is what seals you, strengthens you, comforts you, carries you through to the day of completion. Why can we pray, God, keep me faithful, keep me strong, grant me wisdom, preserve me, secure me until the end? Why can I pray these things? Because that's the work that the Holy Spirit is doing. That is the work that he is engaged in, that he, oh, see what happens when I wiggle too much? That he delights in. 
It is a joy for God to answer the prayer yes to the work that he's already doing. Welcome to what it means to pray according to God's will. To pray according to the things that he is already doing and attempting to do in your world and in your life. That's what part of this teaches you, is that I'm not better. I'm just in a better position because of the work that God has done for me. So, Aaron, we can skip two slides, so we get to verse two. Aaron said to them, tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. You know what my most comforting part about that verse is? It's that Aaron put up such a hearty fight and such a good resistance that they came to him and said, we need a God to go before us. Make us something. And Aaron went, bring me some gold, guys. I mean, I mean that is like, that is like solid as jello right there in the face of adversity. And, and we'll get to this in a second because we might have some historical reason as to why Aaron is like this. But just to go to show you how easy it is when you are in your power to fall, what was the, really the last time we were paying any attention to Aaron? Not talking about what Moses was being told about Aaron because Aaron doesn't know about all that yet. The last time we saw Aaron was with Moses overlooking the battle against the Amalekites and Aaron and her holding his arms up so that the Israelites would have victory. I've got a spot right here that will not stop. Hold on one second. I have to unhinge my own shoulder. There we go. It's that one spot right there and this shoulder doesn't bend like that anymore. So anyway, why don't you want to do this in your power? Let's borrow from the apostles again, Matthew 26. Jesus went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them, what's the next word? Asleep. Asleep. And said to Peter, you could not keep watching for an hour? Keep watching and praying that you may and not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Welcome to what happens. Ooh, that sounded weird. What happens when, this is what happens when you operate in your power, in your strength, in your might. Now, in Aaron's defense, I will offer a slight defense because there is not a whole lot of historical evidence dealing with ancient Israelite history not recorded in scripture is actually harder than New, uh, New Testament church history, because just even farther, but according to some uh, rabbinic sources, the reason why Aaron was so quick to surrender is, who was the other person the Israelites were supposed to bring their case to? Who aren't we talking about? Why not? I don't know either, and really neither does anybody else. There's some there's some speculation that maybe the reason Aaron capitulated as quickly as he did is because the other elder they were supposed to bring his case to, the angry mob already got a hold of. <laughs> and that the reason why you're not hearing from her anymore is because he gone. And the mob got to him. So I don't know. I'm just going to throw that out there. If you want to try to give Aaron the benefit of the doubt, you got something there. So all the people, verse 3, tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. Um, remember this for next week. You will need this knowledge in the back of your head next week. The, uh, the language here supports that either he used a mold to kind of put it together or that he literally, you know, I gotta give him, took a hammer and actually went to the trouble with some malleable gold and fashioned it by hand. Either way, is there an accident here? No, Aaron was making a calf. Who knew that Aaron was making a calf? 
Aaron knew that Aaron was making a calf. He went to the trouble to do it. There's not like, oh my goodness, here's some gold. How did that happen? We know how it happened. You actually did it. Just kind of put that in the back of your brain. You'll need that next week. Next question, why a calf? I mean, of all the things, right? Well, easy. Part of Egyptian and Canaan, both fertility and provision cults. In other words, we want to multiply as a people, as God has commanded. We want to be provided for, as God has done so. The closest thing in their knowledge to the, to the local religions that would do that would be, this, this, I'm not saying this crudely, would be a bull god, which almost sounds like an insult. But it's not. That's actually a god that they think is in the shape of a bull. Now, fun, 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 fun. Most provision in the ancient world comes from what? Where do you get your food? You either grow it or you raise it. So, in a nutshell, your provision, like, like today, if I tell you to go get provisions for a camping trip, what are you going to do? You're going to go to the grocery store. We've got to go buy some stuff. In their world, if you needed provisions for a trip, you go pick it, grow it, barter for it. So, you need a fertile herd. You need a fertile ground. How do you worship most fertility gods in the ancient world? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> Who just went, mm-mm? Oh, that was all the way to the back. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh-uh, we're not going there. <laughs> it's not sacrificing people, typically. That's down the line when the other means of sacrifice don't work out. This is typically where you'll get your cultic brothels, your cultic prostitution from fertility cults. We want to worship these gods so they will grant us more children. It's always amazing how the getting more children and the worshiping are kind of the same activity. And I'll leave it at that. And we need the ground to be fertile. So we need to worship fertility. And it's always amazing how that activity gets to that as well. Remember that for in a minute. We're going to need that. So they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Just as a little note. Again, said this before, but I'll, it probably bears repeating. Anytime you see capitalized Lord like that in your Bible, that is the proper name of God. So, tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh, who, by the way, is still up the mountain talking to Moses. But. So the next day, they rose early, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. I'm just going to say you to that last phrase there and let you understand exactly what that means. But let's rewind for a second. Go back to, um, go back to verse 4 real quick. Oh, how we have forsaken the Lord. Let me count the ways. You shall have no other gods before me. Yeah, we checked that one off the list, didn't we? You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. Check. Let's see. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Go to verse 5. Yeah, there you go. Tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh, and we shall celebrate this feast to Yahweh while we offer sacrifices to this golden calf that I have made. Do you think that would be taking the name of God in vain? Just, like, just, a, just a little bit, right? Just, like, like the, just, just a teensy, weensy little bit, probably. When Israel wants to go off the rails, I guess you have to give them a little bit of credit here. Yeah, they're not like, you know what, there's the sin line, and if we, don't, if we cross this line, that's sin. They're not just like, 
oh, look how bad and evil I am. Oh, look at me, I did it now. You're like, you had that person in high school as a friend of yours. They were, they were like, ah, I copied one answer. I'm such a rebel. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I was that kid. <laughs> no, when Israel goes over the line, they're like, I'm coming through. I mean, they were like, it's almost like somebody was sitting in the back with a checklist. How can we violate the covenant we have made with God? What would that look like? I think it would look a lot like this in every shape, form, and fashion. Now, why do I say that? Because your Bible is not an accident. The events contained within your Bible are not an accident. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. These things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the hand of the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. These things happened to them as an example. They were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. In other words, that's one fun list. So Israel, forsaking their covenant with God. Israel is not wiped out because of this. They're going to go on to travel into the wilderness and grumble and complain and break their covenant with God. And he's going to send serpents against them. And they're going to be bitten and they're going to be poisoned and they're going to die. And God will redeem them, and they will not be wiped out from this. And they will sin again, and God will send judgment upon them. And they will not be wiped out, and God will have mercy. And they will sin again, and then that's what happened. And then they will sin again, and then it'll do that, and they will sin again. And then they will get into the land, and you will see them be disobedient to the commands of Moses, that they will not wipe out the people. They will not take the allotted portion of the land that was given to them. They will forsake all of that, do everything humanly possible to walk away from God. And yet we see what? The perseverance of God, not just to his people, but to his promises and to his kingdom. Israel will persevere, not because Israel is good at this. My goodness, they are not. It is because God has promised them that the Messiah will come. That a kingdom will be raised. And that the promises on all of his people to the ends of the earth throughout all generations will be given through them. Therefore, they will make it. Christian, This is a comfort to you. At least it should be. I will persevere in Christ. Why? Because I'm good at this. No. Because he had promised you. And what's the proof of my promise? The down payment of the Holy Spirit. Guiding. Directing. Let's make a point from the bigger to the lesser. This will be instructive for a lot of us. I don't get this question anymore. I think word has gotten out, so I'm happy about this. But used to be... Oh my goodness, I'm getting old enough I can say this now. Oh, this is going uh, this, this to hurt. Hold on. Like 10, 15 years ago in ministry. Oh, that. Oh. That one hurt. Okay. Yeah. Every day I'm a little older than I was. Uh-huh. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Oh, that, that one hurt a little. So people would ask, you know, uh, how do I know I haven't committed the unpardonable sin? I'm like, oh, that's easy. Ask me a hard one instead. No. It is easy. You're worried about it. See, when you've committed the unpardonable sin, you have a seared conscience against the work of the Holy Spirit. You don't care anymore. So if you're sitting there worried, have I upset God to the point that he will never forgive me again and he will cast me into hell? If you're worried about it, then the answer is no. Because the person who has committed that sin, you know what they're not worried about? God. They don't care. 
I can do whatever I want because God doesn't matter in my mind because I have cast him off. I have removed his shackles from me and I am the captain of my own ship. Dun, 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 dun. It's sinking, but I'm still captain. There you go. And the captain goes down with the ship. There you go. Just like Bugs Money. Now, we've, now you know where the life lessons in my household come from. <laughs> Conversely, how do I know I haven't sinned so much that God has just cast me off and that I can't come back to him? You're worried about it. You're actually worried about your sin. Do you know what the pagan who doesn't care about God isn't worried about? His sin. He doesn't care. If you care, welcome to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Amen. That's how this is. The fact that I actually care about the decisions that I'm making, the life that I'm leading, the things that I'm teaching my children and grandchildren, all these, the fact that I'm worried about it is proof that the Holy Spirit is going... What did I just say? That's what the Holy Spirit is involved in, in every avenue of your life. And the fact that you are off the rails trying to figure out, how do I get back where I belong? What is going on with this microphone today? That was bizarre. Somebody's been playing with the channels again. <laughs> you're, not, oh, you're not, everyone's while I catch a fun little echo. Something, something is messed up. Did you mute, every, or am I being picked up by something else? Okay, that's just weird, sorry. Everyone's while I catch a weird vibration. It's just me. So, just me. That, that's happened a lot in life, so I'm okay with that. Exactly. There's <laughs> a screw loose in there somewhere. But we already knew that. It just, it just won't fall out right, so it keeps... Exactly. The fact that I'm off the rails, worried about how to get back, is proof that the Holy Spirit is still working on me, that I have not gone too far, that it is not too late. This is good news. This is part of what should be a comfort to Israel. This is one of the lessons that they don't learn. It's that as bad as they get, at no point do they go, you know, maybe we should try this whole people of God thing without the catastrophic disobedience and judgments from God. What do you think? Sound like a good plan? And everybody went, nah, that's crazy. It'll never work. Why does it work for you? Because the Holy Spirit is going, hey, you know, we're, we're pretty far off the rails over here. Let's actually get back before something bad happens to you. You know what? You're not listening. Fine. There's your something bad. And then what happens? And you realize, you know why this happened? This happened because dot, 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 I was where I wasn't supposed to be, when I wasn't supposed to be there, with the people I wasn't supposed to be hanging out with. And uh, amazingly enough, I did something dumb and something dumb happened to me. What's the rule? There you go. How do I define what is not a dumb thing? By walking in the wisdom that God has provided. Welcome to why we read what we read in Psalm 119 today. The evil walk how they wish, but I walk how? In the precepts of God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has instructed, engraved these laws upon my heart, told me what is good. This is why no Christian has ever found themselves in sin and gone, I can't believe that that was a bad thing. Not once. It's like, if you ever, it's like when you pick up a news story and someone has driven into a construction site and like run into a tractor, and they're like, I never saw the signs. And then you look back and there's like 27 signs and eight barricades that they drove through. And you're like, no, you saw all of them. You just did what? You just went through them anyway. Why? And then you start figuring out all sorts of details. Christian, welcome to your sin. There were flashing lights. There were signs. There were men waving flags and hard hats. And you just went, because Why? You wanted to. And then you stood back and went, I can't believe this happened to me because you're now doing what? You're lying to you. And the Holy Spirit knows it, and you know it. And the best thing that we can do is go, okay, how did we get here? 
how do we get back? Because that's where God wants me, and that's what Christ would have for me. So that's, let's do this. And the fact that I'm doing that work is evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in me. This is good news. You waking up to your sin each and every day is actually a blessing because it tells you that God has not forsaken you. It's the same example I've given. Why don't you spank other children at Walmart? Because they're not yours. Why did God spank you? He likes me. I'm his. He disciplined me. If he didn't love me, what would he have done? Just ignored me and let me keep on driving. But the fact that he didn't shows me that there was mercy, that there was grace, and there was working going on. This is part of the lesson that we can pull forward. We have the best thing. We have the Holy Spirit at work in us. Listen to him. Follow after him because he is the continuing work of salvation. So let's zoom pal back up the mountain because guess how much God knows? Everything. The Lord said to Moses, go down at once for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. (laughs) I love that line. Moses goes your kids, or God goes all your kids on Moses. You have done that to your spouse at least once. I've come home and said, your children, and, my, and Cameron immediately knows, oh, my children, yes. Like when, like when the dog rolls in something that he shouldn't have rolled in, your dog is rolling in something in the yard. My dog would never do such a thing. Your dog, on the other hand, is doing whatever that is. Yeah, God kind of goes all your children on Moses here, but what I like about that even more is, it's true. It's absolutely true. Moses is just awesome at this, right? Moses was out in the wilderness, you know, taking care of his flocks, living his life, and God goes, Moses. And God, yes, Lord, what shall I do for thee? Go to Egypt. Yes, I'm going to Egypt. Redeem the people. Yes, I'm redeeming the people. No, Moses said what? Me? Are you sure? I mean, you could have said somebody else. You know, I mean, I'm not smart. I don't talk well. I, 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 I mean, see, look, I stutter. I mean, look. You know, Moses came up with that stutter like that. They are his children. They're walking in the ways that he wants to walk. And he's walking in the ways that his fathers wanted to walk and their fathers. Your Bible is not, it's not unawake to this concept. Jude 11. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. And for pay, they have rushed headlong into the air of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Welcome to what sin does. It follows the lineage. Where, pray tell, does that lineage start? Never forget this. Genesis chapter 3. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. We don't think about this. The serpent, Satan, has offspring. He has children. Those children do what? Sin, because sin is his offspring. It is the issue that flows from him. It is what he is, what he desires. And those who are walking in his way, it is what they are and what they desire. Again, why do you wake up one morning and go, I need to go to battle with my sin today? Because the Holy Spirit has awakened you to it and said, don't do that. The pagan who loves his sin doesn't wake up and wonder about the morality of those things. He doesn't care because he's gone after his father, the devil. Same thing that Jesus told the religious leaders. When you forsake God, there's no other person to go after. There's no other, what's maybe being, I guess would be a better way of saying it. Remember, there aren't multiple highways on this place. We've got a narrow road and we've got the ACDC highway. 
You know which one that is, right? There you go. Somebody's got to get my bad 70s music references. That's, that's why I like having Denny. Denny gets all my bad musical references. I even had him singing this morning in Sunday school, him and Daryl. <laughs> now, why? Because they're broken. And this is what humanity lies about and does. Like, have you ever met this person, Matthew 23? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of robbery and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the jid, and of the dish, so that the outside of it may become clean also. You ever met that person in your world? Everything on the outside is perfect. It's beautiful. The kids are behaved, the car is washed, the outfit is right, and we're all doing the right things, and I've got my coffee, and everything's great, and posting pictures on Instagram, and yeah, and what are they on the inside? <laughs> Why? Because I'm spending so much time making sure that everything else looks right. What have I not taken care of first? Don't make it look right. Make it right. Where does that start? What defiles a man? That which goes into him? No, that which comes out of him, which proceeds from the heart. First clean what? Replace the heart of stone with a heart of flesh. Clean the inside of the cup so the outside may be clean also. Don't worry about what's going on out there. Worry about what's going on in here. The way I phrase this all this time, worry about why, Christian. Why am I doing this? Why am I saying this? Why am I living like this? Because if you take care of why, what will not be an issue? The thing that you do will be done when you do it unto the glory of God. Now, this question actually came up this week. Look at that. Question comes up, and now you get to be the beneficiaries of it. How do I eat my food unto the glory of God? Do I sit there and be like, this green bean was a gift from the Lord Almighty, and I shall cherish it? This green bean was a gift from the Lord Most High, and I shall cherish it. Okay, if you want to go with that, I am not going to stop you. I'm going to think you're weird, and I'm going to ask that you don't have me over for lunch, okay? Just nothing personal. I don't want to sit there while my food gets cold like this. I, it's just, just a personal thing. Why'd you cook it? Why'd you eat it? I know. That's not a good enough reason. That's, that's not even a deep enough reason. Think this through. Where'd you get the money to buy it? Why'd you go to that store? Why did you get that item and not that item? You want to know why health is important to a Christian? Because we honor the life that God has given by trying to live it well by caring for ourselves, by providing for others. So think about this. Are you the only person in your house? So when you made a meal, did you just make it so that everyone will eat and shut up? You might want to check your heart on that one. I'm tired of you kids asking me for food. Shut up and eat it. <laughs> I sometimes look, but you know what those sometimes mean? Those sometimes mean I got to check the why. Because I can make a meal so that my family will eat, so that they will be fed, and sin. And I can make a meal so that my family will eat and they will be fed and honor God. What's the difference between those two actions? It has nothing to do with what I did. It's not like, it's not like I sinfully cooked by banging you, make the food and you shut up and eat it. It's the how of my heart. I'm making this food so they will sit down, so they'll be quiet and stop bothering me. It's about serving. 
honoring the family that God has given, honoring the food that he has provided, the job that he has given that I may buy the food. It's about understanding that this is an act of service and love in a world made by God, and that this simple action of cooking, something we all do every day, is something that I live for and do as an offering unto God. Now, take that apply it to everything else. Welcome to how you honor God in the way you live. Welcome to the how. Now, do that. Are the kids going to go hungry? No, not as long as there's food. Is there going to be food? Yes, because you're going to go to the store. Are you going to be able to buy something? Yes, because you're going to go to work. Why? Because I have to provide. Why? Because this is how I honor God, by caring for the things that he has given me to steward. See how all of these things backtrack and connect to themselves? Because my starting point is what? Honoring and serving God first. So, your people have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. What should happen next? <laughs> Fire. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> I mean, that should be what's next, right? The Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. Well, there's an Israel here, which means that guy made it at least another 20 minutes, right? Why? Psalm 32. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Grace and mercy of God. Based on what? We're going to get there. The Lord said to Moses, this is, this is this one, maybe this is top five Bible verses right here in my world. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. <laughs> Yes. Yes. I just, I just love the introspection from God. Your kids are doing this because, man, they're stubborn. <laughs> and the reason I love that is because it's not like they just dawned on God in that minute that they're stubborn. Like, he knew that. It's just they are so wicked in this moment that it needs to be said out loud that, you know, when you look at them for a minute, just right, you can see that they are broken entirely. To which we should say, welcome to the planet, Christian. That's why, what the, what's the prayer? What's the prayer of Psalm 139? The, all this praise of God and all that he has done and nowhere that I can go that he does not see me, nowhere that I can flee that he will not find me, nowhere that he can't protect me. What's the punchline? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. In other words, all these places that I could go, you are there. Lord, where do I want to be? Where you are. How do I get there? I have no idea. I have no idea. I can't do it because when you leave me alone, what am I? I am an obstinate people. But if you will lead me, if you will guide me, if you will redeem me, then I will go somewhere that is good and right and holy. That's what the wisdom of Proverbs is. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. 
In other words, how do I walk? Trusting in God, honoring Him, making sure that all of this life is an offering unto Him. Then and only then does the road go in the right direction. Find anything else? There's the barricades. There's the dude waving the flags with the hard head. Go, do! Sorry. (laughs) Now then, God's not done. Let me alone that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them, and I will make you a great nation. I thought we said Israel doesn't get blown up here. Because that sure looks like they're about to get blown up here, doesn't it? Okay. Guess who we're testing? Moses. Remember when I said earlier, Moses gives you a picture of the work of Christ? Ding, 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 ding. This is why Moses would tell them later that one day, Deuteronomy 18, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. That's why Moses is telling him, look, I'm a prophet who saw God face to face, who communed and spoke. This is coming again, someone who will have looked at God directly. When that guy shows up, please do me a favor. (laughs) Please, for the love of God and all that is holy, listen to him. Who is that prophet? It's Christ. Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your anger burn against your people whom you have brought out from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak saying, with evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and all this land of which I have spoken. I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. Moses goes, don't make me a great nation. You've already claimed a great nation. Now, did Moses say anything to God that God did not already know? Did did Moses say anything to God that God had forgotten? No. Why, if you're Moses, did you say the things that you said then? Well, he has a belief, but what is he doing? See, he's mediating for the people, yes, but how? See, that's the what. I want the how. He's proclaiming to God what? Go back. Go back a couple verses. Hang on. I'm reading upside down. I can't read those numbers upside down. See, that's getting warmer. Yeah, go back to 11. Why does your anger burn against your people whom you have brought from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Put that to music. What kind of song would you call it? Lord, you have redeemed your people with great power and a mighty hand. There you go. There's my dancing. It's celebration. It's praise. (laughs) Come on. Sorry. (laughs) Come on now. I like some cool in the gang. This is praise of God. This is not, God, don't wipe us out. They don't deserve it. God, what are you, all this work that you have done. No, this is God. Look at what you have done. Now go to 12. Why should the Egyptians besmirch your great name? Why should your character be undermined? Forget them. They, they deserve everything. Why should anyone get to speak evil of you? Go to, third, uh, go to, what, go to the next verse. I can't count. Remember what? Your promises to who? 
your people. To be a blessing to what? Your creation. This is a reminder to God, not because God needs to be reminded, because Moses' heart is where? Now, here's a good lesson for you, Christian. What's Israel been doing for six weeks besides losing their minds? What's Moses been doing for six weeks? Standing and listening to the worship of God learning his precepts and how the people will rightly worship him, understanding the greatness, the goodness, and the glory of God. Do you think that changes your perspective just a little bit? Yeah. You want to straighten out that road? What do you do? Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understandings, which means you spend some time doing what? Learning. Talking. Preparing for what? To go out into this world. Not because God smacks you if you don't do it, but because that's how you change your mind. That's how you strengthen your spirit, your soul. Renew yourself so that you will be ready for the slings and arrows that come in this world. It's how you prep. This is what Moses is pointing him to. The Lord, for, uh, 14, the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he had said would come to his people. I'm sorry, he would do to his people. If I could read one line, I'd be all set. You ready? You're going to like this. No, he didn't. <laughs> I'm going to argue with my Bible. No, I'm going to understand it correctly. Does God change his mind? No. It's how we explain what God is doing. Is God surprised that Moses stood in the gap for the people? No. Who needed that knowledge, though? See, did God need Abraham to go up the mountain and bind Isaac to the slab and get ready to slaughter him? No. Who needed that? Abraham needed that. Abraham needed to know that as I'm going to live, I'm going to live offering everything unto God. Abraham needed that. Moses needed this. Because let's be honest, as we come down the mountain and we start making our way towards the promised land, there's a song there and I'm not going to sing it. Are the Israelites going to get better? No, which means if you're Moses and you're going to lead them and you're Moses and you're going to get this tabernacle built and you're going to get the ark constructed and you're going to get worship underway and you're going to deal with all of those problems, you know, with the serpents and the judgments and all of this going on, what are you going to need? You'd best beware. Yeah, you'd best be plugged in real hard because otherwise, where are you going to be? Yeah, just as bad as they are. See? What does it say? Romans 10. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. That's what Moses needs to learn. That's why God's doing this, strengthening the servant who will lead the people. Here's where all of these realizations come crashing to a head. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets which were written on both sides. They were written on one side and the other. The tablets were God's work and the writing was God's with God's writing engraved on the tablets. Okay. Hermeneutics lesson, understanding your Bible. When something is kind of beaten into your head, should you be paying attention to it? Yes. What was the repeated theme here on those verses? 
Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. Testimony of who? God. Tablets which were written on both sides. They were written on one side and the other. Okay, so somebody went to a lot of trouble on these tablets, right? The tablets were God's work. The writing was God's writing engraved on the tablets. Yeah, Moses walking down the mountain with two tablets of stone given to him by God. For what? The worship of God. The testimony of his covenant. The consummation of the relationship between God's people and God himself. The culmination the culmination of that six weeks up on the mountain, worshiping and understanding and preparing. That's a good place, right? That's where we want to be. Now Joshua, when Joshua heard the sound of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a sound of war in the camp. Joshua actually cares about these people, doesn't he? You're up the mountain watching from distance as Moses is in the presence of God. What are you looking at? Are you paying a bit of attention to what's going on in that camp? You are 10 feet from the glory of the Lord. I mean, with all of that going on, where are you looking? How much time you'd be like, I wonder what everybody down there is doing. No, you'd be like, dude, look. Not that we're in trouble. We're in a good spot. Look, they're doing well. We've left them Aaron. We've left them her. We're up the mountain and God is right there. I mean, I, those people could have been lit on fire 27 times a day. And you know how much, jo, you know how much Joshua would have noticed? Because eh, it's like, God. So now we're coming down the mountain. You kind of get your brain working again. And all of a sudden it's like, people are shouting. People are yelling. People are screaming. What must be going on? The reason I say Joshua cares more about the people than they do is, should there be a war going on in the camp? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. See, Christian, there should be a war in this camp. The Israelites should be fighting temptation. They should be fighting idolatry. They should be warring against their sin and the temptation to walk in any other way than the way that they have just covenanted to walk with Yahweh. They should be fighting that constantly. And because they are not, they've lost. See, what happens when you get into a fight and the other person doesn't? Or better yet, what happens when there's you and one other person and they get into a fight and you don't? No, no, no they're not. Two people in a room. One of them is fighting. One of them is not. Who's losing? The one who's not fighting is going to lose every time. Welcome to Israel. Christian, you ever wonder why you landed in the construction zone or you're way off in the woods somewhere? You stopped fighting. And if you don't fight... You're going to lose, because when does Satan go, you know, those Christians, we've been whooping on them pretty good for like the last week and a half. You know what I think we should do? I think we should just like go take a nap and leave them alone, and they'll just be fine on their own. Yeah, Satan's not like, oh, look, they're bleeding. We should stop kicking them or something. I mean, my goodness, someone should call somebody and do something about this absolute whooping I'm putting on these poor, defenseless people. He doesn't care. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't stop. Sin 
this, we talk about sin like it's a person. It's not. It just is. Look, it's, it's 2021, right? We've dealt with this for a year and a half. Does a virus sleep? Does it take a nap? It just does what? It just reproduces and moves on to the next person. Welcome to sin. It's a virus. It doesn't take a nap. It doesn't stop for snacks. It doesn't pull over on the side of the road. It just keeps running you down. Not like this. Not by just laying there and going, I hope something will happen good. I hope someone will stop him from kicking me. Get up and punch him back. That's how this works. You fight each and every day. That's why God gives you armor. That's why he gives you instruction. That's why he equips you for the task. You will either fight or you will lose. And those are the options. Here is Israel. That's why Moses can say, it is not the sound of the cry of triumph, nor is the sound the cry of defeat but the sound of singing I hear. It's almost beautiful. And it's sad. Because if it was crying of triumph or the cry of defeat, at least I knew somebody fought something. We didn't fight. We just sang. We're just partying. Life is just good until it's not anymore. Moses is walking away from the most pure worship he will ever experience in his life. And he's walking into utter debauchery. I get why he's going to smash the tablets, and I will contend until the day I die and God tells me I was wrong that he was aiming at somebody. <laughs> like, I don't think Moses got tied to the mountain and was like, I cannot believe you people. It was more like, I cannot believe you, and I can't believe you either. <laughs> You're never going to convince me otherwise until God says, no, 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 he just dropped them. No, no. Moses was chucking those at somebody, and I'm, go I'm going to my grave on that one. Yeah. Christian, when we spend time in prayer, when we spend time worshiping through music, when we spend time studying the word, when we spend time reading the Bible on our own, what are we spending our time doing? Praising and worshiping. Why? Because we're about to walk into utter debauchery. How often? Every single day. Matthew chapter 10. Behold, I send you out as sheep into the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts, scourge you in their synagogues. You will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over... Do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speaks, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. In other words, in the midst of that debauchery, where is God? Strengthening his people, working amongst his people. This is why the work of the Holy Spirit is so important, why our understanding it is so important. He hasn't left us. How do I know? Because you care. I'm worried. I'm worried about my sin. I'm worried about the future. I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about my grandkids. I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about these things. Therefore, I actually care about what goes on into this world. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is still strengthening, still working, which means prepare now because where is the fight? It's everywhere. It's already here. It's not coming. It's here. It's day by day. And you either fight or you lose. Those are your options. Israel lost. They're about to get a foot in the backside, and we're going to have to take care of that next week. The lesson for us, Christian, is that God has not forgotten and God has not forsaken. You can see it here. What should have happened? You know, start smiting some people. Instead, what do we do? 
We send Moses down to instruct, to encourage, and we start again because this is how God works with his people. Welcome to what the Holy Spirit is doing, Christian. When I find myself in failure, he sends what? He sends encouragement and grace so that I can what? Learn and start again. And this time, walk on the path rightly. Why? Because he's laid one out. And he has placed me upon it and he is strengthening me to stay upon it because he has not forgotten or forsaken me. That should be a comfort. So we don't get caught up in the world. We don't get caught up in their parties and the things that they love. I didn't tell you don't have fun in the world. I just said, have fun to the glory of God. But instead of getting caught, up, caught, getting caught up in their things, we're caught up in the things of God. We're caught up in honoring and serving, evaluating the why, thinking through all of that I am and all that I do so that as I walk, I walk faithfully. Because I'll do that down the road, but I start with that where? Now. Strengthened by the Holy Spirit, guided by the testimony so that I will be the faithful, the part of the faithful people of God. Let's pray.